we're going to pick up Bill's story on um, page six. And um, uh, uh, Bill's story is an example of uh, someone who suffered from the disease of alcoholism. It's important to read the story and look at how Bill acted, thought, and drank. Not whether he was a man or whether he was a stockbroker or a lawyer, but see if you can identify with this man. And he started out as a very successful man. He was um, well, uh, well respected. He was an infantry uh, officer in World War I. He was set out to prove that he was going to be a success. He wanted to arrive. He wanted to show people he was okay. He was seeking to wrest satisfaction out, out of life by managing well. He was looking for things outside of himself to make him feel good and make him feel okay. And uh, he wanted approval, he wanted applause, he wanted respect. I think this is true of myself and most of the alcoholics that I've ever worked with. Uh, we, we constantly are seeking approval uh, to fulfill our self-esteem. And we can never manage the world completely well enough to continue to have it well enough that we, that we uh, are okay. And if it works for a while, then we, we need more. And if it's not working, uh, then, then we need to try to fix it and manage it even better. And it's, we're on this merry-go-round. And um, Bill was on that, and he, uh, even when he made a lot of money, he still couldn't keep from drinking, he wasn't happy. And then when he lost money, uh, he was full of self-pity and uh, resentment. And he uh, is now at the end where he can't live life with alcohol or without it, and he's at the end. And it says, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the uh, next morning were unforgettable. And um, the courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. Uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't do battle anymore. He couldn't win. He knew he was defeated. Um, he, impending calamity. To me, that was constant fear. And I hardly dared cross the street, he writes, lest I collapse to be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My writhing nerves were stilled at last. Anybody else have writhing nerves? We're irritable, restless, and discontented. And we seek the ease and comfort of alcohol. So he could not live sober, and he couldn't live with alcohol. It didn't work anymore. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. Two bottles and oblivion. So he's drinking for oblivion. And, and he, he doesn't even want to be awake anymore. But he went on for two more years. Listen to this. The mind and body, a marvelous mechanism for mind, endured this agony for two more years. Now, he was, he was about 40 years old or 41. And uh, it takes a while to kill yourself from alcohol, poisoning to get cirrhosis of the liver, to get wet brain but he was spiritually dead. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror madness were on me. Uh, 
Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for a weakling. There were fights from city to country and back, and my wife and I sought escape. Uh, his wife was Lois Wilson. Uh, she was a great lady. Uh, she uh, was the founder of Al-Anon. Um, she was of great support to uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. The doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. He, he's dying now. He's dying of alcoholism. My brother-in-law is a physician. Through his kindness in that, my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I made a kind doctor explain that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill bodily and mentally. And this was William Silkworth in the town's hospital in, uh, in 1934. Uh, and he describes to Bill the allergy of the body, the phenomenon craving. And he describes to Bill the obsession of the mind that when he's irritable, restless, and discontent, he seeks the ease and comfort of alcohol. And once that happens, no, nothing can come between him and the next drink. It relieved me somewhat to learn that an alcoholic's the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose had hung high. I went to town regularly, even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. So he, he knew himself. He understood exactly what was wrong with him. He was a bright guy, he had a lot of willpower, and he, he, he had the answer, knowledge of self. But knowledge of self is just more self-centeredness. Knowledge of self won't fix us. What we need is knowledge of God. We need a relationship with God. We need knowledge of God's will for me, his direction, his power. So what happened with self-knowledge? For it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time I returned to the hospital, this was the finish. The curtain, it seemed to me. So I think this is 1934. The previous hospital admission was at the end of 1933. Uh, and there's this, he describes this scene where he's in the hospital room and he hears Dr. Silkworth and Lois talking in the hallway about how they're gonna have to put him in an asylum or he's going he's gonna to die of DTs or heart failure or wet brain. And he says, they did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I had thought so well of myself and my abilities and my capacity to surmount obstacles was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of sots who'd gone on before. I thought of my poor, poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I would not give to make amends, but that was over now. So he had thought so well of himself and his abilities, of his capacity to surmount obstacles. He could do it. He was a tough guy. He was going to fix his life. He was going to manage it, but it didn't work. He was defeated by his self-centeredness. He couldn't see it right then. 
And then now we're going to read four or five lines which describe uh, Bill Wilson taking the first step in admitting complete defeat. And it's brilliantly written, and I don't think you could describe uh, my complete any, any, any better. But complete defeat is to see the truth of the situation and the true powerlessness of my situation. He says, no words can tell the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Morass is a swamp, a swamp of self-pity. And self-pity is at the end, is at the end of the line when we, when we feel sorry for ourselves and pity ourselves that we tried so hard and we were such uh, great people and our motives were so good and why didn't people understand us and how could it have worked out like this for me? And when you're in the end of self-pity, it's the worst form of self-centeredness. He says, quicksand stretched around me in all directions. Quicksand. I remember the old Tarzan movies where there was always the poor porter who would, who would slip into the quicksand and you'd see his arm go down and he'd be swallowed up. He's surrounded by quicksand. There's no place for him to go. There's no oasis in the desert anymore. There's no place he can go. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Complete defeat, hitting bottom. And when you hit bottom, at least for me, on February 8, 2002, at 2.30 in the afternoon, I got down my knees, and the only way out of this, this quicksand, this morass of self-pity, was God. And I said, God, help me, and, and uh, uh, look where I am today. In February uh, 2017, uh, reading the big book with uh, 40 people in this room, so he, he, knew, he knew he was defeated. He knew what was wrong with him. But there was no AA. There was no 12 steps. There was no program of recovery. And so, trembling, he stepped for, from the hospital, broken man. Now look where he is now uh, in 1934. But he died in 1971. Now think about that. He went from this to uh, uh, helping... Uh, one of the founders of AA, helped write this book, uh, worked with so many people. And how did that happen? How did he go from that to where he, he was and died sober? Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Fear worked for only, only so long. Then came the insidious insanity of the first drink. Remember, we cannot recall the humiliation and defeat of even a moment ago. We were out without defense of the first drink. No human power can relieve my alcoholism. He was off again on Armistice Day, 1934. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to the miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted in what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. And he talks about that in the world of the spirit in step 10. After you've done steps 1 through 9, you're now in the world of the spirit. You're in a world with a relationship with God. And uh, I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life. So if you live the way of life, you're happy. It's a different type of happiness. You're happy on being of service to God and his children, not happy based on what you get and what you want. And you have peace because you're, you're in the now with God and you're useful because you're able to serve others and get out of yourself. In a way of life that is credibly more wonderful as time passed, 
Uh, in the foreword to the 12 and 12, he describes the 12 steps as principal spiritual in nature, which if practiced as a way of life, will relieve the obsession to drink and render the sufferer usefully whole. And that's what we want. We want to be usefully whole. Remember it says on, on page 77, our purpose, we're trying to put our lives in order, but that is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit myself spiritually, maximally, to serve God and others. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. I don't think there were any secrets here. I think Lois understood the situation quite well, but she was powerless. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. Now, I think uh, uh, if you look at this, 1934, November 1934, I think God decided that alcoholics had suffered enough. And he wanted to give us a spiritual program to live. And he wanted us to have a way to get close to him. And... uh, and remove the boundaries from him and to be able to be uh, uh, in one with him. And so, uh, if you look at the circumstances that led to uh, this meeting that we're going to see between Ebby Thatcher and Bill Wesley, you can see the hand of God. In 1908, a man named Francis Buckman um, was a young minister and he had resentments and was very upset at this church in Philadelphia. So he left Philadelphia and he was very mad and he went to uh, Oxford, England and he listened to a, uh, a sermon and he was in the, um, in the church and the lady was talking about resentments. And when he heard her talk and he looked at himself, the cross became an eye and he realized that he was the cause of his resentments, that he was separated from God, that he had led a self-centered life. And he started this group that became known as the Oxford Group. And it was uh, people trying to live uh, uh, first century Christianity right after the death of Christ before the Bible was written. And they had four absolutes, love, unselfishness, honesty, and purity. And they had six uh, steps. And... uh, He met a young minister in 1924 in China who was having trouble uh, spreading the message of Christianity. And this man's name was uh, Reverend uh, Shoemaker. And he talked to the Reverend and he talked about the Oxford group and the steps. And um, Reverend Shoemaker realized that uh, uh, how he had to connect with people and how he had to talk to these young, young people to convert them to Christianity. And uh, he went back to the Calvary Church and started the Oxford Group there in New York. And in um, uh, around that time, in 1932, a man named uh, Roland Hazard went to Switzerland. And uh, he was uh, heir to a uh, uh, magnet of industry. They lived in Rhode Island. And they, had, they were like the Rockefellers, and they had no solution for him for his alcoholism, so they sent him to Switzerland 
to see Dr. Carl Jung, who's one of the three most prominent psychiatrists of the time. And uh, um, he spent a year of therapy, and he he said that he understood himself, and it's described on page 25, and there is a solution. He, he, he had such knowledge of himself that he, he, he thought he, could, he was okay. And then he, he left uh, Switzerland, and within three days he was drunk. And so he went back to see Carl, Dr. Young, and Dr. Young said, I didn't realize you had the mind of chronic alcoholic. I've never seen a case recover. However, there are these phenomena reported where people have this spiritual rearrangement of their personality. Their old ideas are, are removed and their old attitudes and ideas are changed and they have new, new attitudes and ideas. And he called this a, um, a personality transformation. So uh, Roland Hazard said, well, I, I can go to church. He said, no, this is more than church. This is something different. So Roland Hazard went back to New York and went to the Calvary Church in the Oxford group. Now, he, uh, he used to vacation in Vermont in the summers, and he knew Bill Wilson, and when Bill Wilson was a, a teenager, and they, they also knew this man, Ebby Thatcher, who was from New York, Albany, New York, and they were all there in their teens in the summer, and they, the Hazards and the Thatchers had summer homes on the lake, and Bill W. was living with his grandfather in the town. And... <clears throat> So they all knew each other. And so uh, uh, Rowan Hazard was in New York in 1934, and he had a friend named uh, Seagrave Har- Harvey, I believe. And this man's f- father was a Vermont judge. And Ebby uh, Thatcher had been put in jail and was going to be sentenced to an asylum because of his behavior in Vermont, where he shot up the, uh, uh, some, some, uh, the neighborhood and he drove his car into someone's living room and asked for a, a drink, and and the uh, they were gonna they were gonna put him away. So he went with Rowan Hazard to the judge and asked his dad if they would if they would let Ebby uh, come with them to New York. That they had a program that they thought might help him. And uh, the judge said, as long as you don't let him stay in in Vermont. And so they took uh, Ebby back to New York. And then uh, we're going to see in the next uh, next week exactly what happened when uh, Ebby went to Bill. And Ebby was 60 days sober. And they, they said, you have to witness. And he thought of Bill W. Now, who gave Ebby the idea to go see Bill? And you see, this was God. The thought came in Ebby's head. We all have thoughts. The thought came that and I need to go to Bill W. And that was God. And you see how it all came together uh, so that they met that, uh, that day in New York.